The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. This non-commercial program is for educational purposes only. You're listening to Radio Azim Premji University. what you've just heard in many different styles some contemporary some folk are poems by the 19th century saint from north karnataka sant shishunal sharif who has been described as a muslim veerashaiva yogi shishunal sharif is one among many fascinating characters that one meets in the north karnataka bhakti traditions look up uh, his songs and his life online i'm i'm sure you'll have fun i want to use uh, this as a jumping off point to really talk about uh, poets and about a tradition that started 800 years before shishunal sharif's time in the 12th century this is the sharana tradition of shiv bhaktas in karnataka later known as veera shaivism or lingayatism so in this uh, third episode of bhakti republic after having started our journey in bombay the progressives urdu poets and so on having gone to banaras talked about kabir talked about raidas now we are back in this third episode to our home state karnataka and because we are here we are in bangalore we have access to wonderful musicians who sing kannada songs we have for the first time on radio azim prem university music songs that have been recorded for the show so we have uh, the amazing md pallavi whose voice you will hear singing the vachana poems we have the wonderful guitarist bruce lee money accompanying her on guitar i think there's a good chance that uh, the poems that you will hear sung on this episode have not uh, been sung uh, before you you might not have heard them even those who are familiar with this music might not have heard these poems so come with me on this journey Bhakti Republic with Amit Basole Episode 3 Kayakave Kailasa Sthula sukshma karana vemba ಮೂರು ಕಂಬವ ನೆಟ್ಟು ಆಗುಚೇಗೆ ಎಂಬ ದಡಿಗೋಲಿನಲ್ಲಿ ಅಗಡದ ಎಮ್ಮೆಯ ಚರ್ಮವ ತೆಗೆದು ಉಭಯ ನಾಮವನೆಂಬ ನಾರಿನಲ್ಲಿ ತಿತ್ತಿಯ ನೊಪ್ಪವ ಮಾಡಿ ಭಾವವೆಂಬ ವಾಟ್ ಯು ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಹರ್ಡ್ ಇಸ್ ಅ ಕನ್ನಡ ಪೋಯಮ್ ಬೈ ಅ ಟ್ವೆಲ್ತ್ ಸೆಂಚುರಿ ಪೋಯೆಟ್ ಮಾದಾರ ಚೆನ್ನಯ್ಯ ಇಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಅ ವಚನ the word vachana in many indian languages simply means speech or the spoken word in kannada vachanas are a particular kind of poetry that we are going to look at a lot of examples today this poem is a remarkable one i really find it fascinating first let us hear the english translation done by professor h s shuprakash and then we will talk about the poem after erecting three pillars the gross the subtle and the causal bodies after beating the buffalo's rough hide after removing the flesh with the staff of the manifest and the hidden after tanning the hide with the fire of dualism after pouring the caustic juice of quintessence into the hide pouch of awareness the blemishes of soul thus destroyed i 
have come to take the sandals to his feet take care not of the ground below but of the path your feet and sandals take do not be enslaved by the hand all blade or peg but realize rama rama your own true self the joy of joys madar chennaiya the author of this poem was a cobbler by trade who lived in the city of kalyana in the 12th century in karnataka for me it's an astounding poem uh, when i first read it uh, you know i had to read it again and again to just to see what all was going on in it um the flights of fancy the metaphors that chennai has packed in uh, the poem i think has the capacity to really fire up people make them feel anger maybe passion uh, even joy and liberation because it's talking about as you'll see soon very sublime philosophical um, ideas but through very raw earthly metaphors so let's look at this poem in some detail and then through this poem let's look at the tradition of the sharana shiv bhaktas so for example you look at the first line sthula sukshma karana vimba muru kambava nittu here the reference straight away is to a doctrine of the three bodies in hinduism where the human being is said to compose of three shariras the a uh, causal body the sukshma the subtle or mental body and the sthula the gross or the material body but the metaphor given is of pillars on which the platform for beating of animal heights for example will rest by the time the poem is done this human body has been compared to the cobbler's output as it were sandals as in i have come to take sandals to his feet just as for kabir the body was a product of a weaver's labor the chadar or the chadariya the fabric here it is sandals and the processes of hiding and tanning that are used to describe the journey from tuness to oneness these are cobbler's processes right this is what the you do in your occupation and in doing so chanaya achieves this very deliberate i think juxtaposition of things like yemmeya charamava the buffalo skin right with terms like ubhaya nama dualism which is a kind of high theological term and this contrast is what he is really going for now i don't even you know i don't think this is a coincidence that the acts of labor and the objects that are mentioned in the poem are considered highly polluting and degrading in orthodox belief right so rather could possibly there be a very considered attempt to place these words next to each other that are not quote unquote supposed to belong together labor in particular manual labor of the artisanal castes plays a central role in this spiritual tradition and indeed there is a often repeated mantra almost which is also the title of our episode kayakave kailasa is sort of the motto of this movement and it asserts that labor is nothing less than the means to liberation to emancipation and we'll keep returning to this theme professor shiprakash uh, who is a renowned poet himself and a scholar of vachana literature and a translator whose work i am drawing extensively on uh, estimates that out of about 240 odd poets that we have record for in this tradition perhaps as many as half might have been from laboring or artisanal classes and i'll just give you a very illustrative list here uh, you can look up his work for many more people so we've already heard of madara chennaiya who was a cobbler there is revana siddha who is a shepherd there is devar dasimayya weaver molige maraiya the wood cutter madiwala machideva the washerman a cowherd a rice gatherer a basket maker a rope maker barbers farmers a town crier a hunter sex workers maids and even maritande the burglar who also happens to be a poet and a shiv bhakta but the most well known vachana poet often considered the leader of the movement also is not from the laboring castes uh, he is a brahmin basavanna it is worth noting that the importance of thinkers from lower castes 
is clear from poems written by Basavanna himself, who says, Appanu namma madara chanaya Boppanu namma dohara kakaya chikaya our Madara Chennaya is my father. Our Dohara Kakkaya is my elder uncle. Look you, Chikkaya is my grandfather. Our Kinnarabhumaya is my elder brother. Then how come you do not know me, O Kudal Sangamadeva? All the Sharanas that are named in this poem are from the so-called untouchable castes. And as you can see, Basavanna is explicitly acknowledging his ancestors, his intellectual ancestors through this mechanism. Further, a significant number of Sharanas are also women, often again from the artisan and farmer castes. Other than the most famous Akka Mahadevi, who many of you again would have heard of, poems from around 33 women Sharanas are available to us. Although the tradition recognizes many of them as wives of the male Sharana poets, such as the wives of Basavanna or the wife of Devardasameya, the weaver, whose name is Dugale, or Lakkama, who is the wife of Aida Kimareya, and so on. We know their names. Uh, they are known as wives of the Sharana poets, but there is enough evidence to show that they were also poets and thinkers in their own right. And there are many stories that cast the woman in the husband-wife pair as the greater bhakta to whom the male poet turns for guidance. What fascinates me um, as a newcomer, as an outsider to this tradition, this language, is what kind of a time and place is this or was this that gave rise to this phenomenon of such a large number of poets in a space of, say, a hundred years or less. When I say the word uh, Chalukya or Rashtrakuta, what comes to your mind? Do you think of uh, sleepy school day afternoons when you struggle to stay awake in history class after lunch? Or maybe trying to mug up names of kings and their dates for a social studies exam? If so, let me recommend a recent book, Lords of the Deccan by Anirudh Kanisetti, a very engagingly written history of southern India covering around 500 years or so, from the 7th century to the 12th century. I'll draw upon this book to set the stage for our story today. The time is 1150 CE, 1150 AD. And the place is the city of Kalyana or Kalyani, the capital of the Chalukya kings. What is this time and what is this place? In its heyday, Kalyana was a big city a capital city, full of artisanal communities, trade, all the kinds of things that you think of when you think of old big cities. Right? Think of Vijayanagar, for example, or Hampi, with its bazaars and artisanal communities and so on. Um, the time is a very interesting one. It sometimes gets lost in history because many of us know something about ancient India. We know something about the Mughals. This is right in the middle. It's about 50 years before the Delhi Sultanate was set up, for example. If you've ever seen the film Pony and Selvan about the Chola kings, the time we are talking about is uh, just after the uh, Pony and Selvan period. And for those of you who are fans of European history, this is the time of Robin Hood in England. Walter Scott's famous novel Ivanhoe, set at the same time. Rumi, a famous Sufi uh, poet that many of you would have heard of shortly after this time. This is the period we are talking about. The site of Kalyana continues to be important in the ensuing centuries after our time. New dynasties emerge in this period after the Chalukyas. People like the Hoysalas or the Yadavas or the Kakatiyas, many of you would have heard of these dynasties from different parts of southern India. Sitting right in the middle of the Chalukya kings and these new dynasties, we have a very short-lived dynasty called the Kalachuris. And a particular Kalachuri king, Bijjala, whose minister is Basavanna, forms a critical part of our story. And we get a very peculiar historical moment here of about 50 or 100 years when we see uh, political instability together with this fabulous religious, spiritual, social movement. 
the temple and other rituals feature prominently in this poetry as targets of attack and it is worth noting in this context that this is the time when temples as institutions are emerging they are powerful symbols of religious and political power and hence are being attacked think for example of the brihadeshwara temple dedicated to shiva in in tanjavur commissioned by the chola kings and many more such temples the great uh, kannada scholar activist and public intellectual dr nagraj uh, mentions in one place that basavanna rejects this very notion of the temple which has become an instrument of power in his time and he sees the human body as a temple ullavaru shivalayava maduvaru ullavaru shivalayava maduvaru nane namadalayya badavanayya The rich will make temples for Shiva. What shall I, a poor man, do? My legs are pillars, the body the shrine, the head a cupola of gold. Yenna kali kamba, deha vidhi gula. Yenna kali kamba, deha vidhi gula. Shirave hon na kalajavaya. Listen, O Kudala Sangama Deva. Things standing shall fall, but the moving ever shall stay. All the poems that we have produced for just for the show. um are available in the full soundtrack in the accompanying materials along with translations kudala sangama deva you may have noticed in this uh, and the earlier poem of basavanna that we played that he addresses his lord by the name kudala sangama deva lord of the sangama or river confluence of kudala This is an actual place about 15 kilometers from the Almaty Dam in Bagalkot district of Karnataka where the Krishna and the Malaprabha rivers meet and they flow east towards Sri Shailam in Andhra Pradesh which is another famous uh, uh, spiritually important uh, site in this tradition The second thing to note are the lines things standing shall fall but the moving ever shall stay as beautifully translated by ak ramanujan if you remember shailendra in our first episode who says chalna jeevan ki kahani rukna maut ki nishani very similar idea this is an important element in sharana philosophy the contrast between the sthavara and the jangama between the the standing the static here the temple and the living breathing moving human uh without this latter the former is only lifeless stone it gets ossified it gets fossilized and so forth and there's a further nice contrast of course in the translation between the moving staying while that which stays still disappears right i really like this kind of play of words this emphasis on the moving the flowing the flexible as opposed to the standing the fixed or the unchanging is uh, seen in many different traditions uh, uh, we have for example tukaram has a famous abhanga uh, called lahan pan dega deva which means oh lord please make me small give me smallness which has been sung beautifully by kumar gandharva um where he says mahapure dhaade gatti tethe lavale vachati a great flood washes away the trees but the grass survives daya angi mothe pan daya yatana the great flood washes away trees but the grass survives the larger the ego the greater the pain somewhat reminiscent of that kind of rigidity versus flexibility idea 
ಫಾರ್ ಬಸವಣ್ಣ ದ ಬಾಡಿ ಇಸ್ ದ ಟೆಂಪಲ್ ಕಾಯವೇ ಕೈಲಾಸ ಹಿ ಸೆಸ್ ದ ಕಾಯ ಇನ್ ಸಂಸ್ಕೃತ್ ಬೀಂಗ್ ದ ಬಾಡಿ ಇನ್ ಕನ್ನಡ ಕಾಯವೇ ಕೈಲಾಸ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ಅ ಲಿಲ್ ಡಿಫ್ರೆಂಟ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ದ ಟೈಟಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಅವರ್ ಎಪಿಸೋಡ್ ಕಾಯ ಕವೇ ಕೈಲಾಸ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಐ ಆಮ್ ಗೋನ್ ಟಾಕ್ ಲಿಲ್ ಬಿಟ್ ಲೇಟರ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ದಿಸ್ ಕಾಂಟ್ರಾಸ್ಟ್ ಬಿಟ್ವೀನ್ ದ ಕಾಯ ಆರ್ ದ ಬಾಡಿ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದ ಕಾಯ ಕಾ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ಲೇಬರ್ ಡನ್ ವಿತ್ ದ ಬಾಡಿ ಆರ್ ಮ್ಯಾನ್ಯುಲ್ ಲೇಬರ್ ಬಟ್ ದ ಬಾಡಿ ಇಸ್ ಆಲ್ಸೋ ಆನ್ ಇನ್ಸ್ಟ್ರೂಮೆಂಟ್ ದಟ್ ಸಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ದ ಪ್ರೇಸಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಬಿಲವೆಡ್ ಒನ್ ಎನ್ನ ಕಾಯವ ದಂಡಿಗೆಯ ಮಾಡಯ್ಯ ಎನ್ನ ಕಾಯವ ದಂಡಿಗೆಯ ಮಾಡಯ್ಯ ಎನ್ನ ಶಿರವಾಸೋರೆಯ ಮಾಡಯ್ಯ ಎನ್ನ ಶಿರವಾಸೋರೆಯ ಮಾಡಯ್ಯ ಎನ್ನ make of my body the beam of a lute of my head the sounding gold of my nerves the strings of my fingers the plucking rods clutch me close and play your 32 ragas o kudala sangam deva this theme echoes almost exactly in a poem attributed to amir khusro who lived incidentally just a few a uh, hundred years or so after our period uh, and it's sung in kawalis to this day tan rabab kusrosas rabab is like a lute which we just heard about from the basavanna poem my body is like this musical instrument and my the all my nerves have become strings rage bhai saptar so you can see it's almost in places a word for word sentiment that you find you know this poem by khusro of course i have heard many times and i saw the basavanna poem and again it it invoked a lot of joy in me to read it uh, but that joy got you know doubled or tripled when recently i encountered the same poem by basavanna at the end of the autobiography of one of my favorite hindustani classical singers malikarjun mansoor who has himself sung many vachanas in beautiful uh, style he ends his autobiography nanna rasayatri it is called in kannada with this very poem when he talks about his relationship to music and what music really means to him the theme that we have started talking about with basavanna's poem on the temples and how the rich build temples and how his body is a temple that theme weaves itself through this tradition in so many different beautiful ways let's take just one more example here before we move on and this is by dasimaya the weaver who comes at the same thing in this way acha shivaikyange hotare amavase acha shivaikyange ಹೊತ್ತರೆ ಅಮಾವಾಸ್ಯ ಮಟ್ಟ ಮಧ್ಯಾನ ಸಂಕ್ರಾಂತಿ ಮಟ್ಟ ಮಧ್ಯಾನ ಟು ದ ಅಟರ್ಲಿ ಅಟ್ ಒನ್ ವಿತ್ ಶಿವ ದೇರ್ ಇಸ್ ನೋ ಡಾನ್ ನೋ ನ್ಯೂ ಮೂನ್ ನೋ ನೂನ್ ಡೇ ನೋರ್ ಈಕ್ವಿನಾಕ್ಸಸ್ ನೋರ್ ಸನ್ಸೆಟ್ಸ್ ನೋರ್ ಫುಲ್ ಮೂನ್ಸ್ his front yard is the true varanasi o ramanatha even if you may not understand the language fully i'm sure 
when if you caught the key words in this poem right he's talking about amavasya he's talking about sankranti he's talking about purnima these are all the auspicious inauspicious various kinds of ritualistic times of day times of the year that are being nullified that are being negated by dasimaya who is saying if you are at one with shiva then what is purnima to you what is amavasya what is sankranti it is all the same and what i find very nice about this poem is that it ends with the mention of varanasi where we were last time talking about kabir the weaver and here is dasimaya the weaver invoking varanasi of course centuries before kabir which also gestures to the importance that varanasi the city has in this system of thought that is being challenged and interrogated by the sharanas what makes the sharana movement even more interesting is that they are not just talking they are also acting remember the context is emergence of new power hierarchies religious orthodoxy being strengthened uh, temple construction and all of these things right and this bhakti movement in part can be interpreted as a reaction to these new hierarchies to the, and they challenge the caste and gender hierarchies very directly and they create institutions to do so as well there's something called the anubhav mantapa which is the hall of experience in which as equals peoples from different caste and men and women come to talk about their experiences of shiva of accessibility to shiva regardless of your background and so on the act that seems to have triggered a crisis is the celebration by the sharanas of a marriage between an untouchable boy and a brahmin girl which released the wrath of the conservative elements as it's recorded this is a very much recorded you'll find the story in many many different accounts of the sharana movement passions run high and the king bijala himself has to yield to the orthodox elements who are up in arms about this marriage and a period of conflict follows in some accounts it's a violent insurrection that follows and the sharanas have to leave kalyana and bijala himself dies in this conflict and kettitu kalyana kalyana is wrecked or kalyana is destroyed becomes a very commonly used phrase in kannada literature thereafter and in folk narratives and so on it refers to this uh, historical moment it's only centuries later during the vijayanagara period that the veer shaiva religion and culture are revived uh, and vachana literature receives a new kind of impetus uh, and scholars begin to collect collate edit vachanas under the patronage of the vijayanagara kings and it's during this time that the anthology the most well known anthology of sharana literature that exists the shunya sampadane or the gathering of emptiness was compiled this kalyana episode has attracted the attention of many writers over the generations and in recent times you will find prominent kannada writers such as lankesh um, girish karnad shiv prakash who have all written plays on it as well i want to talk about the vachanas of two people in particular who are along with basavanna possibly the most famous proponents of this tradition allama prabhu and akka mahadevi allama prabhu has a special status in the tradition uh, the shunya sampadane is in some ways a kind of uh, he is the anchor there he is the hero of that story and uh, the the anthology of verses is collected in such a way that it's a series of debates uh, and propositions made by allama prabhu and his agreements or disagreements with other poets that's how the document is structured and he is referred to by many interesting names in this document he is called the shunya murti the shunya murti shunya is a very important concept here it's a buddhist concept also uh, you can call it nothingness you can call it emptiness you can call it void there are all of these synonyms for it so shunya murti is basically a void that has taken on form a void in person that's uh, one of the names given to allama prabhu sometimes he's also called the void of the void okay? which uh, 
if some of you are scratching your head at this really weird phrase, you might remember, if you've seen the show on Ghalib, you'll remember this phrase, ghaib that Ghalib had, which he called the manifest world, the hiding of the hiding, or the hiding of the hidden. It's very similar to this void of void kind of idea. In the vachanas of Alama Prabhu, you will find these kind of Sufi and Vedantic themes a lot, which we also encountered in our Ghalib show, and we'll encounter many more, uh, you know, before we are done with this uh, show as well. So here's an example of Alama Prabhu in in a very in a, in a very Vedantic type of mode. I think you will find, at least, I am reminded of that. So let's hear this vachana. <laughs> When neither source nor substance was, when neither I nor mine, when neither form nor formless was, when neither void was nor non-void, nor that which moves or moves not. You see the series of negations that something that goes beyond each of these dualities because that is what they are and these are the seekers of oneness. So in their search for the Shunya or for that which is beyond all dualities, these thinkers pass through these many stages and leave behind that which is not useful in the quest. And needless to say, a lot of what is left behind are the symbols and rituals that are no longer needed for somebody who has understood the nature of reality. So, for example, Alama Prabhu says in one of his vachanas, what you call the Veda is a work to be read. What you call a Shastra is market news. What you call Purana is bullies boast. What you call logic is butting of rams. What you call bhakti is only a show for profit of a meal. What you call Goheshwara is the absolute beyond bounds. Goheshwara is Alama Prabhu's Ankita or the name that he uses to address Shiva. So he's passing through the Vedas, Shastras, Puranas and so on and even bhakti and going to this place which is the ultimate destination. I think these few examples, hopefully, from Alama Prabhu may also serve to illustrate an important point about this tradition that uh, K. Ishwaran makes in, in his book on the Vachanas, that you see a very interesting synthesis of the Margi, or the classical or the great tradition, and the Desi, the folk or the little tradition. So both the Margi and the Desi are coming together in an interesting way and maintaining their own distinctiveness. For me, uh, an illustration of this fusion of the Desi and Margi is the specific form that each poet's Ankita or Mark takes. Right? I mentioned earlier that uh, for Basavanna, the poems always end in Kudala Sangamadeva. For Alma Prabhu, they always end in Goheshwara. For Akka Mahadevi, you will find they end in Channa Malikarjuna. And each poet has their own specific name, which is very local, very contextual. And for Basava, it is actually a place from where he comes. Uh, but it's also referring to Shiva and connecting to a, a grand Hindu tradition through Vedanta and through monism. It is also not very easy to classify the thinking in other binaries like Hindu or non-Hindu, for example. The status is ambiguous because there is constant dialogue with Hindu scriptures while also departing significantly from the scriptures. So it is really nothing less than an attempt to create a monotheist or a monist community of equals because that's the other very important part that we are going to come to shortly, the revolt against the hierarchy. Right? A community of equals with 
theology that is very closely linked to Hindu theology. And in that sense, it is similar to the Vaishnav you know, monotheism that you'll find in the North, uh, of which Kabir can be considered to be a part. Coming up on the other side of the break. Burgling or robbery. So let's hear from Mari Tande, the burglar. Rich Kishore Malhotra ran away from home in Bihar in his teens, enamored by the portrayal of truckers in movies and TV serials. He thought it was the best job in the world. Life on the road, however, was anything but what he had imagined. The difficulties about food, about uh, water, about toilets, these are the basic needs. Constantly being on the move, crisscrossing state boundaries, and driving 14 to 16 hours a day, truck drivers rarely have the option to get a toothache attended to or check a failing eyesight. No problem, and in this episode, we take you to parking lots in and around Kolkata. Stories of change with Anuradha Nagraj, only on Radio Azim Premji University. Alongside uh, Basarna and Alama Prabhu, the third most famous uh, Sharana is Akka Mahadevi, whose life story, if you look it up, will remind you a lot of many other famous women bhakti poets, like Meera, for instance, in that uh, it is a story of revolt against uh, orthodoxy, against the uh, norms that bind women, and so on. So Akka Mahadevi's poems talk about this. Uh, these gender norms and her revolt against these gender norms uh, by connecting to the bigger Sharana concerns. And let's look at one example uh, in which I think you will find many resonances with the poetry of Mirabai as well. To him, with no death, no decay, no form, to the beautiful one I have given myself, O Mother. To him, with no place, no end, no space, no signs, to the beautiful one I have given myself, O Mother. To him, with no clan, no country, to the peerless, handsome one, I have given myself, O Mother. For this reason, Channa Malikarjuna, the handsome one, is the man for me. These wasting, dying men, take them away, throw them into the oven. We started this episode with a striking example of the centrality of manual labor, kayaka in Kannada, in Sharana poetry. Shri Prakash, in his book of translations of the Vachana poems, notes that, and I'm quoting, the Sharana movement had raised the morale of the artisan castes. They had become not just literate, but literary figures. Cobblers, town criers, street performers, prostitutes, washermen, potters, all of them, new converts to the Sharana movement had become spiritually awakened, politically conscious and socially aware. As we find later on in the poetry of the Varkari saints of Maharashtra, as well as in Kabir and Ravidas, occupational metaphors are very common in all of these poetry. But in the Vachana corpus, I find that it goes, at least I feel, it goes to an even another level. 
And we saw an example of this in Chennaiya's poem. Let's look at two more examples of these. I'm going to start with a very unusual occupation indeed, burgling or robbery. So let's hear from Mari Tande, the burglar, who says... If I'm a thief at night, that would be a shame to the master who gave me the picklock. If I enter houses when people are forgetful, that would be a shame to my expertise. I wake up the forgetful, show them their riches, then bring out my own riches, O Father, Lord of Mara, the love God, foe of Mara. As you have probably figured out, the metaphor here of the picklock and the kind of occupation of burgling houses, that is what Maritande is using to talk about waking people up, communicating a certain idea that shows them who they really are. And he does that in a delightful way by saying, well, you know, I'm no ordinary thief. I, I, I don't like, go in the night when people are sleeping and it's very easy to rob them. But the philosophy of Kayaka, which um, Shiprakash calls also the path of labor, labor as a means of emancipation and liberation, that goes beyond just the use of occupational metaphors. And a poem that strikingly demonstrates how central the category of labor is for these people is this poem from Ayadaki Maraya, the rice gatherer, who says, One who is engaged in work must even forget the Guru's sight. Linga Linga worship he must forget. Even if the Jangama stands in front, the obligation must be snapped. Since such work is as good as heaven, Amareshwar Linga himself must do it. You probably caught the phrase Kayakave Kailasa right there, uh, which is also the title of today's show. And uh, in the translation was portrayed as such work is as good as heaven. But you can also translate it as work is worship, as I said earlier. Or if none of these work for you, then just note the juxtaposition of these two important words, kayaka, manual labor, and kailasa, with all its, its significance in Hindu thought. Note the last two lines 
बिकॉज काय कवे कैलासा अमरेश्वर लिंगा हिमसेल्फ डज इट टू मस्ट डू इट टू सो इट इज अ कंप्लीट इक्वेटिंग ऑफ द डिवाइन प्रिंसिपल विथ द मैन्युअल लेबर प्रिंसिपल सो दासिमैया हु इज अ वीवर वेन ही इज वीविंग अ पीस ऑफ क्लॉथ ही बिकम्स शिवा हिमसेल्फ इन वन ऑफ हिज पोएम्स ही सेज हु वीव्स द सारी यू और मी ओ रामनाथा Shivprakash calls it not surrender to the divine so much as transformation of the self into the divine through the act of labor. In the interview that we did with him, he elaborates on the significance of kayaka. To the best of my knowledge, only vachanakaras and artisan class they developed a consistent philosophy of kayaka. To use a term from uh, from Pali religion, the sotoriology of labor. Labor as a means of liberation, culture of the head, culture of the heart, and culture of the hand. So this culture of the hand developed only in the context of Kannada Vachana tradition. All of this uh, raises a difficult question: Should we see these thoughts as radical and subversive? or as conforming to caste based occupational duties after all if one's caste based occupation is the means to liberation this could be interpreted to mean that one should do that and nothing else perhaps it is a bit anachronistic i don't know i don't know what you think but to think from the point of view of leaving traditional occupations as we do today uh you know when we think of challenging caste it's a little maybe not quite fitting to that context of the time uh, but of course uh, opinions may differ on this what i do appreciate though and perhaps you can also appreciate is the vigor with which these thinkers were attacking the symbols of caste pride orthodoxy rituals hypocrisy they were really squarely hitting that and i'll give you two hard hitting examples of this kind of attack from two women poets uh, one uh, who is one of the earliest dalit so called untouchable caste women poets in kannada kallave and one from sule sankava who was a prostitute or a sex worker So let's look at those poems and then we'll come back to seeing what we can make of them. Oh kuri koli karimeenu timbavarigella Kuri koli karimeenu timbavarigella Kulaja kulaja rendembaru They say all those are high born who eat sheep fowl and tiny fish they say all those are low born who eat the cow that rains on shiva sacred milk sanctified five times what the brahmins had eaten adorned the grass and a dog licked it up and went away what the cobblers had eaten adorned the grass now the brahmins ornament in other words bags are made of cow's hide for ghee and for water senseless brahmins who drink ghee and water from such leather bags thinking it's sacred they can't escape utmost perdition the master of urulinga peddi doesn't approve of such men she is setting up a contrast as you can see between those who are high born or so called they say she says right so they so called high born people who have these dietary preferences and others who are so called low born who have other dietary preferences and then she goes on to show the arbitrariness of why certain preferences are mapped on to certain types of status and she goes on to show 
that this leather these uh, low born people are eating the cow and are considered low born because they eat the cow but then there's also the cow that gives the leather and that leather forms the bags that carry the ghee that is sacred so where and along the way somewhere something weird has happened she's pointing out Having taken one man's money, I daren't accept a second man's, sir. And if I do, they'll stand me naked and kill me, sir. And if I cohabit with the polluted, my hands, nose, ears, they will cut off with a red-hot knife, sir. Ah, never, no. Knowing you, I will not. my word on it oh nirlajeshwara i think i i don't need to tell you how much uh, anger pathos but also sarcasm uh, comes out of this really powerful poem remember this was written by somebody who was on the margins of society nearly a thousand years ago so it's a voice speaking to us over all of those centuries and it's a very powerful voice a uh, first note her name for shiva very different from what we have seen so far she calls him nirlajeshwara lajja shame nirlajja the shameless the god of the shameless the shameless god or the god of the shameless the lord of the shameless ones and you can see how that resonates with her occupation as well the poem itself here's my reading of it in brief you can see if that makes sense to you i read it as a very caustic sarcastic take on society of the time and how they treat people like her but she's using that she's using those really dramatic uh, examples of punishment and so on to demonstrate her loyalty to shiva that's what the poem is about as she ends it she is giving him her word that she is not going to be disloyal to him why because in her trade having taken one man's money there's no question of accepting another one's because these are the punishments that await if one is disloyal so i i found it really a very uh difficult you know i mean i don't know how to describe it but it's it's a very interesting way of saying something that so many poets also say that i'm i'm yours i'm loyal to you but she's using these kinds of uh instances from her own life to make that point so we return to the question of what happened to this radical spirit that we find so obviously manifested in the poems that we have looked at today the noted kannada scholar dr nagraj who i have referred to earlier and whose works i highly recommend perceptively warns in one of his essays that uh, and i quote him the vatapi garbha of hinduism allows only the occasional eruption of protest only to be reabsorbed again in the quiescence of conservatism the vatapi garbha the you you assimilate things when you keep assimilating it allows something to emerge but then it is eaten up that is consumed shubhrakash has argued that the shunya sampadane the anthology of vachanas um is an attempt to write out or remove the vachanakaras from artisanal castes both men and women but i am still left with the question 
how do we really understand the failure then of such attempts to transform society or is that the wrong way to ask the question we will return i think we'll keep returning to these concerns as we go through these series and maybe in the last episode we can take stock of all of these kind of concerns here i'll leave you with one very important observation that again nagraj makes when he is talking about the contemporary or the modern anti caste movements the dalit movements and the anti caste movements and he points out that the origins of these modern anti caste movements lie in the convergence of two forces there's a transcendental aspect of fighting caste ego caste pride it's a spiritual kind of a take and then there is the mundane reality of fighting for real opportunities in education in jobs and so on so it's in that first part of the struggle which really is not unimportant right nangraj is pointing out that both of these have a place the struggle for real opportunities material opportunities but also the struggle in the transcendental in the spiritual in the philosophical realm and it is there that this bhakti parampara uh, the bhakti tradition has a very large role to play and in the next episode when we look at the marathi varkari poets we will talk more about their continuing contribution to the modern day anti caste movements in that state but for now i'll leave you with uh, an interesting song that i discovered on youtube uh, which is a tribute to madara chennaiya the poet that we started our show with who lived you know 900 years ago and here is um, a young person today Uh, giving him tribute sahitya mattu haadidavaru ravi kumar k metri sakin ranna balagali ivara mobile number 9880114633 hannadane shatamanadaga hoddeti huliya shivananne bhoomige tanda vadeya ivare namma madara channaya hoddeti madara I want to end by just talking a little bit about the continued presence of these ideas and these poems in society over the centuries coming down to our modern period. For example, there is a Telugu poet Vemana who lived in the later half of the 17th century, born around 1650s or so. who uh, rajmohan gandhi in his recent book on modern south asia um describes as a poet of the people a philosopher of freedom a fighting saint and whose aphorisms whose poems have become aphorisms and are on the lips of uh, you know ordinary telugu speaking folk vimana is also uh, coming from the same lingayat veer shaiva tradition that we have been looking at today though he is writing in telugu and not kannada which we have been looking at mostly uh, but despite that change in language there is very much the same kind of spirit in his poetry the spirit to question and challenge ritualism symbolism make fun of people who confuse um the external uh things for the true you know internal self and uh, so forth and i'll give you only one um example of it you you can uh, i'm sure look up more poems by him in one of his poems in telugu i'm paraphrasing he asks the following rhetorical questions if a muslim person were to go to tirupati would he then become hindu if a pig were to go to kashi would he become an elephant if a dog were to bathe in the godavari would he become a lion you see the drift that he is trying to get at now after our after the main period that we've talked about today which is the 12th century from the 14th century onwards with the establishment of the bahmani sultanate in bidar which is close to kalyana um, the great river of hindu tradition meets another mighty river there's a sangam if you will of islam and in particular of the sufi traditions in islam so these two are coming together uh to give rise to many fascinating syncretic individuals individuals who embody 
both these traditions and of course wider bodies of thought and literature um, for example a few months ago when i was in bidar um, i visited the mausoleum of the bahmani sultan uh, ahmed shah uh, who is known as wali or the saint the darga of ahmed shah wali is the destination every year of hindu pilgrims from surrounding areas who worship it as the shrine of alama prabhu now if you you like me are scratching your head about this because the times don't match and certainly the people are different uh, amacha has nothing to do with alama prabhu historically and so on well keep scratching your head because this is the kinds of things that make us think about how society is choosing to remember various kinds of cultural and intellectual encounters um you can read more about this particular phenomenon by the way in a very nice article by the bangalore based journalist vikar ahmed said who has written about this and many other syncretic traditions of north karnataka a particularly interesting example of such a tradition came up in our interview with professor shiprakash uh, and i will uh, let him tell you the story in brief of fakireshwar swami of dharwad in north karnataka for example after the 15th 16th century sufism uh, came down to south and many some of our swaravachanakaras tatvapadakaras like shishna sharif so on uh, they were influenced by sufism also and uh, some of these saints didn't write any poetry for example there's a, uh, there's a shrine of fakireshwar swami Fakir Ishwar Swami in Darbar. So the title Fakir Ishwara. He was born in the Lingayat community, but his mother didn't have a child for a long time. She sought the blessings of a Sufi, and he was born. The Sufi said, "When your son is born, you should surrender." She did. So he initiated into, into Sufi practices. After some time, he said, "You should go and get yourself initiated into your Shaivite practices." So in this place. Fakireshwara Shrine, you have the symbols of both Islam and though the Swami is Lingayat. Another example of the same tradition is the person that we started this show with, Sant Shishunal Sharif, who D.R. Nagraj describes as a Muslim Veerashaiva yogi with a Brahmin Advaitin guru. Sant Shishunal Sharif uh, was born in the early 19th century. So you can see how we've come all the way from where we started in the 12th century down to now the 19th century and we are still looking at the unfolding of this tradition. So Shinal Sharif comes from a much more modern context. He was born in Haveri district in Karnataka and even now you can go and visit his darga in the town of Shishunal where he is from. And you will see again through his poems a fondness for all kinds of absurdities and uh, sarcasm, and you know, uh, uh, making you think through uh, unexpected types of uh, themes and motifs. Where the city of Kalyana once stood is today a town called Basavakalyana. named as you know by now for basavanna next time we travel 200 kilometers straight west from basavakalyana when we end up at pandharpur in maharashtra the seat of the varkari poets but for now i want to end this discussion that we've had on the vachanakaras with a super contemporary poem a poem that was written last month by Bruce Lee Money who has also played the guitar on our episode today the poem is titled skin in the game like dough stretched by loving calloused hands fired to bread is truth pulled by dreaming deluded minds he said she said these cattle i skin then dry and beat the meat we eat and fall from god so the double drum can speak with high born hands caressing low the rhythm of the status quo
enjoy this show then don't forget to like and share our channel follow us and subscribe to be updated when we release new shows and episodes to know more about radio azim premji university visit our website by clicking on the link in the show notes